It's Christmas time at Gospel Treasury. We will read and talk about the birth of Jesus Christ. If you listened to all the previous episodes, it took us about two hours worth of content to get to this point. Some might call it a drag. Others would insist on even more expounding. Both takes are probably right. This setup, however, is not a result of another person's model, but of a personal vision and approach while utilizing several resources, and most importantly, as I hope, pray, and believe, by the guidance and influence of the Holy Spirit. Let's begin with the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, A marital pledge was a Hebrew custom set up for the newlyweds prior to moving in together. It was not established by the law. It was more of a cultural aspect. It is mentioned in a passive form in the law. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 20 verse 7 speaks in the context of a military service. Has anyone become pledged to a woman and not married her? Let him go home, or he may die in a battle and someone else marries her. Other words also used for such pledge are betrothed, espoused, or, more commonly today, engaged. In the Gospel of Matthew, Joseph is one of the main characters in the first two chapters, He was a woodworker by trade, as mentioned much later in the Gospels. According to an Orthodox tradition, at the time of this pledge, Joseph was as old as a modern retirement age, while Mary was a teenager. This is quite probable as Joseph is completely absent from the grown-up life of Jesus. Such arrangement may appear crooked to our present sensibilities, But given the ancient Middle Eastern social structure, Joseph was likely doing Mary and her family a big favor. Joseph appears to share a whole lot with a patriarch of the same name from the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. Both had fathers named Jacob. Both received revelations from God. Both of them spent time in Egypt. Both of them shared a composed, collected character avoiding rash decision-making. As the pledge of Joseph and Mary was supposed to turn into a marriage, Mary was found to be already pregnant. Under the law, the situation that Mary was in could have resulted in death by stoning. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 23 and 24. It would be reasonable for Joseph to present her to the local authorities. Instead, Joseph showed compassion to Mary. The words from the letter of James are applicable here. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James 2.13 
Joseph did not wish to shame or hurt Mary, so he had in mind to divorce her quietly, or as King James and NASB read, put her away or sent her away secretly. Would this be a higher profile household, let's say someone like Zechariah and Elizabeth? Such a coming of Christ would not be possible. Joseph and Mary were little-known, working-class citizens. Their meek little status was necessary to avoid unwanted drama that could easily escalate into a tragedy. Moving on to verses 20 and 21. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. An angel, whose name is not provided by Matthew, prevented Joseph from splitting up with Mary and briefed him about the particulars of this case. This angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, which shows that Joseph did not hesitate to believe, and he did not ask for more signs. In this address, Joseph was reminded of his ancestral connection to King David. As we mentioned before, it was necessary for the Messiah to descend from this lineage. And on a more subtle note, Joseph could relate to King David in terms of his lowly background. King David, who originally was a shepherd boy, was not at all significant at the start of his story. When the prophet Samuel came to his father's house, David was not even called by his family to join everyone else at home while he was tending to his flock. And yet, God turned him into the most famous king in the history of Israel. Joseph and Mary were so irrelevant in their social circle no one would even bother them about Mary's pregnancy. And yet, God chose them to bring up the Savior of the world. Joseph was instructed to name Mary's son Jesus, Yeshua, the Lord saves, which is the same name as an important Old Testament character. The Old Testament Jesus, commonly rendered as Joshua, saved people from their enemies. Jesus, the Messiah, saves people from their sins. Matthew goes on to make a connection to an Old Testament prophecy. Verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through a prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This prophecy found in Isaiah chapter 7 was originally directed toward, towards King Ahaz, about 700 years before Christ. That setting involved an armed conflict with other nations who made Ahaz very nervous. God spoke through the prophet, saying that these armies will do the Judean kingdom no harm, and the sign provided was, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings that you dread 
will be laid waste. Isaiah chapter 7, verses 14 through 16. In the immediate setting, the main point was that in, in a few years, the armies that Ahaz was scared of will no longer be a threat. The sign was an unnamed virgin, and in the Hebrew language, it can mean both a girl who abstained from intimate relations or a young woman of marital age in general. And so an unnamed virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. At the time of Ahaz, it is not clear whether the girl was to conceive in a miraculous way similarly to Mary in the New Testament, or if there was a virgin who was simply about to get married. There is no record of such happening, nor was it the main point. An appropriate deduction is the following. As those words were spoken, somewhere in the land of Judea, a conception of a child was soon to take place. Before this child grows up old enough to have any sense of what is right or wrong, the danger of a military attack will be over, which historically came true. You can read the overview of King Ahaz in Second uh, Kings chapter 16. This prophecy, along with many others, serves in multiple dimensions of time. It came, true, it came true during the time of Isaiah, and it foreshadowed a deeper connection to the future coming of the Messiah. The name Emmanuel was not necessarily to be taken literally, which is why Matthew explained the meaning of the name, God is with us. This is a similar concept in a more famous oracle found in Isaiah 9.6, which is the continuation of the same prophecy. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Finishing out Matthew chapter 1, the final two verses. When Joseph woke up, he did what the, what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave, he gave him the name Jesus. And so Joseph believed the words spoken by an angel and accepted Mary as his wife without delay. They abstained from marital relations at least until after the birth of Jesus. The story of Jesus' birth is extended in the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. We are informed that a Roman emperor during this time was Caesar Augustus. He was one of the more prosperous rulers of the history of the Roman Empire, and the land was largely at peace in comparison with other Roman emperors. 
This allowed him to complete a lot of administrative work, including a national census. A purpose of the census is to gather information about the citizens and their property. Historic data suggests that, that such census took place a few years after Jesus was born, especially since Governor Quirinius, whom Luke mentions, didn't become a governor until year 6 AD. Here's a reasonable explanation. A census was a long and tedious process, especially if it involved the entire Roman Empire. Back in the Old Testament, King David commanded to take a census of Israel, which took over nine months to complete. And even then, two of the twelve tribes were not included because the man responsible was greatly irritated by the task. 1 Chronicles chapter 21 The land of Israel is just a small lot compared to the Roman Empire, so it is difficult to gauge how much more of a challenge this task must have been for such a massive region. It is very likely this census was still in process until Quirinius became a governor of Syria and during his term in the office. Back to the birth of Jesus, whose coming was big enough to literally split the point of time. Was Jesus born in the year zero? Small disclaimer, there is no year zero officially. The timeline goes from year 1 BC to year 1 AD. BC stands for before Christ, or as a group of very sensitive intellectuals rebranded BCE, before common era. AD is from Latin Anno Domine, the year of our Lord, or CE, common era. The precise time, day, or even year of Christ's birth is unknown. But just about every researcher agrees that Jesus was born a few years before the split in the time eras. The irony is, Christ was born sometime between years 6 and 4 before Christ. The Christmas day of December 25th, which the Western world observes, was set up around the 200s AD and made official by the Roman Church a century later. Why December 25th? You can find all kinds of theories, but even the most probable ones are educated guesswork at best. The date itself was arranged by using the Roman system of counting the days that was originally coined by the Emperor Julius Caesar, hence the name Julian Calendar. Before the Julian Calendar, every nation and ethnicity, including the Hebrews in the Old Testament, had their own way of counting the years and the days. Julius did his best to set up a universal calendar for all people to follow, but it was still imperfect. Because counting of the days is based on Earth's position to the Sun, which is not precisely 365.25 days, as the calendar suggested, the Christmas day along with other days were getting shifted forward every few centuries. By the 1500s, people were just as confused as I am with keeping up the accurate number of days. Along came Pope Gregory XIII, who headed a task force to clear up the mix-up and cement his legacy with what we call a Gregorian calendar, which is the main calendar of the Western world today. Many people were still unclear on the new rules for counting the days, and so they continued following the Julian setup. 
And so to this day, the Eastern Orthodox Christians celebrate Christmas during January, along with other religious holidays on the different days from everyone else. Back to the birth of Jesus, again. People were instructed to register for the census in their birthplaces. So Joseph traveled to Bethlehem together with Mary, who was due with the baby at moment's notice. Verses 5 and 6. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. The birth of Jesus was divinely coordinated. Paul the Apostle wrote, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Galatians 4.4 God selected a very specific time and setting for the coming of Jesus, which would serve best for the initial spread of the gospel. The city of birth was predicted in the Old Testament. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me the one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Micah 5.2 The newborn Jesus was placed in a manger, a rack used for feeding the animals. Now, this was not only because there was no more room available. This is a representation of his personality. Jesus is the Lamb of God. A lamb has its place in a manger. This is a display of humility. And so, this much is revealed to us about the birth of Jesus Christ. On such note, we will conclude this episode. And coming up next, the admiration of the infant Jesus this is the part where the angels appear to a group of the shepherds and later the wise men come for a visit. Until next time, farewell 